Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. It has been such a joy to get to share God's word, and I hope and I pray that we are able to take this and just let the Lord um, really embed it deep down in our souls as we walk with Him and learn to trust in Him. And so, as you um, may know, one of the um, main components of one truth is this idea of being dedicated to that truth, dedicated to letting God lead us and letting him guide us in our lives. In a world right now where truth is so um, relative and we are moving away from this absolute truth, we want to be a voice that says we will dedicate our lives to following the truth of God and the truth of his word, and we will not deviate. We will stand firm. We will stand um, against anything that comes in contradiction to the word of God. And so that's what we are about. That's what we're doing. We love Jesus Christ um, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love getting to, to take this journey with him and to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him. This is such a process. And if you have not been with us over the last few weeks, I want to let you know we are doing a new series right now, Studying Women of the Bible. And that's exciting for me. It's one of my favorite uh, topics to look at because sometimes we get really enamored with the different men in the Bible, and they're amazing, and it's so great to learn from them. But every once in a while, we kind of forget these amazing women that God has placed in the Bible for us to learn from and to understand more of who he is and more of who we are to him. And so we've spent the last several weeks studying Eve, and just last week we started studying our second woman, just looking and at least taking some time to pay attention to what God teaches us through their lives and through his interaction with with them. And so this time we are looking at the woman, Sarah, uh, who of course was married to Abraham. And we started last week looking a little bit more in depth in what was going on in Sarah's life leading up to what, of course, we know um, of this amazing promise of Isaac being born and God beginning his chosen people in this nation of Israel. And so we were taking a look, though, of what she went through prior to this promise being fulfilled. And I really want us to focus with her on three specific things. We want to look at the trials of faith. We want to look at the timing of faith. And we want to look at the triumph of faith. Faith, of course, being so incredibly important in our lives without faith, the Bible tells us it is impossible to please God. And so the question is, do we just automatically have this faith? Should it be something that's instantaneous? Will we never struggle? Will we never doubt? And of course, that is not true. And what I want us to pick up from Sarah, and hopefully we remember this from last week, she had already walked through so many trials of faith. 
And part of our growing in faith is walking through those trials of wrestling with our doubt of figuring this out. And so we're going to we're going to take a look at that as we go through here today. I really want to focus on something very important. Last week, we talked a lot about the trials of faith that Sarah has already been through. And I'm going to say this. She's going to go through quite a few more as we make our way through her story, at least in part. And so we're going to go through many of her trials of faith. They're not over yet. But today I want to focus on something so critical for us, which is the timing of faith. Because oftentimes those things that we know that God has promised us or that he's leading us into, we expect a very quick turnaround. And in fact, what we're going to see from Sarah is that the timing of God is perfect and we do not get to set that time. It is not up to us to determine when and how God is going to fulfill what he has promised. And yet within our flesh, we oftentimes do that, don't we? We will know something is from the Lord and we will expect it to happen right now. I always say this, we live in a fast food society, right? In a fast paced world where we expect microwavable answers, where we can quickly put it in and in three minutes, bam, it's done, it's out, it's available for us. And sometimes we feel like faith should work that way. Okay, well, I feel like God's leading me in this direction and it should happen right now. And I should be at the end of this road immediately, almost like we can microwave our faith and we can't do that. But I want us today to take a look at the timing of faith as it as it relates to Sarah. And so if we remember correctly, she has been struggling. She's come up against trial and trial. Do you remember the fact that she um, she even has had to choose to believe her husband and leave behind her family, leave behind the wealth that she would have grown up in and follow her husband into an unknown land following an unknown God? Because we have to remember up to this point, they didn't know God. They didn't know who he was. In fact, we know that they worshiped many gods because they came from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And this was a a town, a city of multiplicity of gods. And so we know that that was the background now to have her husband say, we need to leave it all behind because guess what? God spoke to me. And even if she were to ask which God, he would have to say, I don't know. It's an unknown God, but he talked to me. And you see, there's this personal God now that is in their life all the way in their past they have worshiped impersonal, of course, fake and false gods. And now all of a sudden there is a personal connection between them and God. And yet he speaks to them and then he is silent for long periods of time before he'll speak again. Because like we talked about, they do not at this point have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into that because man, what a privilege we have with that now. So she's already had to leave everything behind, follow her husband to an unknown place. And so off we go. And it's been trial after trial after trial in this woman. And can you imagine just even the great faith she's already exercising just in following her husband and going through everything she's went through up to this point? Now, I want to guarantee you she has been struggling with her faith, wrestling through her doubt and maybe even through her fear and her anger. And we remember she was taken by Pharaoh because Moses or because Abram, sorry, in his um, disbelief had lied and said that Sarah was his sister, which, of course, was a half truth because she is his half sister. But because of that, Pharaoh spared him and took Sarah to be his wife. God, of course, intervenes. And we're going to pick up in that part of their story where they are reconnected, reconciled together again. And they are returning to Canaan out of Egypt. Remember, they were in Egypt because of a great famine. Now they are returning to the land God had called them to. 
And we get to this place in time where Abram and his nephew Lot separate. And we remember that part of the story. I'll just summarize it quickly for you. But Abram and Lot were growing in their possession, growing in their wealth and in their accumulation. And so now they're at the point where it is not, uh, it's not a good idea for them to all stay together. Fights are arising in between their workers and, and their herds aren't having enough area to graze. And so Abram in his generosity and selflessness offers Lot first choice. And he says, you look at all the land and wherever you go, I will go in the opposite direction. And so Lot, of course, chooses the best for himself, what he feels like is the best for himself. And off he goes to what toward where we will know is Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abram um, takes him and his family and his servants and his herds, and they separate from Lot at this time. And he is going to continue to accumulate wealth. And at this point, You would be picking this up in chapter 15 of Genesis. God finally comes to Abram again, and he reaffirms his promise to Abram, telling him that he would have a son and that Abram's offspring would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. It's a beautiful thing. And he has to remind him that he is the same God who called him out of Ur. He is the same God that made a covenant with him so many years ago and so long ago. And he has to actually remind Abram of this because remember, Abram does not know him well yet. He doesn't even know at this point, I don't know if we've picked this up, but at this point in the story, God has not even given Abram a name to call him yet. So here is this unknown God speaking to Abram. And he explains to him what he's going to do. He explains to him that he will, in fact, have a child and that his descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And he has to reaffirm, by the way, I am the same God speaking to you right now. I am the same God who called you out. It's me. It's I'm the same one who has been talking to you. Because remember, like I was saying, God would speak to them. And then they would carry on until God would speak to them again. It's not like it is for us today where we have the opportunity through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us to be able to be in constant communication with God. All day, every day, we have the opportunity to communicate with him, to talk with him, to find out what he wants us to do and where he wants us to go. At this point in history, the Holy Spirit would not, it was not indwelling the people. In fact, the Holy Spirit would come on somebody for a given time, for a given job that God would give them to do, and then he would leave again. And so the Holy Spirit would come as God directed, but he was not indwelling them. So they had to wait sometimes years and years. In fact, later on, the people would be waiting generations before God would speak again. And so this, you talk about faith and having a trial of trusting God. They might only hear from him and then not hear again for another several years. And so this is what was happening. God is reminding him, I am the same God who called you out. And I want to tell you, you will have a son and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But here was an interesting thing. Up to this time, God has not yet brought Sarai into the mix yet. And remember, Sarai is what Sarah was called at the beginning before God changed her name. And up to this point, God has not brought Sarai into the promise. He hasn't actually named her by name. And so we can understand now moving forward the doubt that is creeping in with Sarah because 
as of yet, she has not been able to have children. We talked about this last week, that they would have probably already been married a good 50 plus years by the time their story picks up. And so to not have had a child in all of these years, and now to be in her mid-70s at this point, uh, creeping up on 80, it is amazing and astounding to me that her um, that she's been able to continue following her husband and what he believes to be true because she has not seen any evidence of this yet. And in fact, she herself has not talked to this God. She has not even been made known in the promise God gave Abram, not yet. Now he's going to do this, but up till now, she has not been told it would come through her. Now there's no doubt that Abram told Sarai about the promise God had made him. We know that he probably did. He would have explained to her that God was going to bless them with children upon children upon children. And I believe she believed that God was going to give this to Abram. But after 10 more years of childlessness from when they left, she starts to wrestle with the doubt that it will be done through her. You see, an interesting thing is going to happen right here. Sarah must believe that God is actually going to do what he said he was going to do. She just doesn't know if it's going to happen through her. God has not spoken that out yet. Is it going to happen through Sarah? And so we're going to see something in chapter 16. And I want us to pick this up right here. As she's wrestling with this, was it going to happen through her? In thinking this way, she does something, ladies um, and even gentlemen, that we are so um, guilty of doing ourselves. At this point, as she begins to not see God move through her, She assumes that he is withholding something from her, and she assumes that he needs her help in accomplishing what God has set out to accomplish. Have you ever been there? Because, oh my goodness, I have stories I could tell you, but I want us to think about that. All of a sudden, she thinks God needs her help. And the moment we think God needs our help, the moment disaster starts to happen because you know what? In truth, he doesn't need us at all. Do we know that? Our God is all powerful, almighty. He alone saves. He does not need us, yet he chooses to partner with us. He chooses to allow us to be a part of what he is doing as we abide in Christ. But at this moment, I want us to see what Sarah does because like I said, we are all guilty of this at different times. I want to read to you in chapter 16, starting in verse 1. After all this time of waiting, no mention of her has happened. So we can kind of understand. We place a lot of blame on Sarah for what she's about to do. And yet when you think about where she was, the great trials of her faith, she has not been talked to by God. She doesn't know if this promise is going to be fulfilled through her. Not yet. So look what she does. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. So remember, they've now been in Canaan 10 years after God called them out. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now he slept with Hagar and she conceived. This is so um, critical to me because we fall into this so often. You see at this moment, um, Sarai begins to assume a few things. She begins to make these assumptions because she has not heard from God in this. And so you see this great struggle in her faith right here. She starts to assume God is withholding from me. 
And so I must help him out. I must come up with another way. You see, this door has been shut, so I better break it down. I better come up with a way that I can blow open this door and create for Abram what it is he's wanting. Now, it's no doubt that she loved her husband with an intensity. And we've seen that even last week. We talked a lot about that. But she must love her husband so much. And she wants him to have what God has promised. And so what she does is begins now doing the work on her own. And you're going to see what happens as a result from working in our flesh, from not waiting with God. You see, what she did not realize is this wasn't about withholding from her. This was about the timing of God in her life. It would not be too many more years before God himself would make the promise come to fulfillment. But for Sarah, she is not seeing that this is not a withholding issue. This is a timing issue. And what happens when we jump the gun and we decide we've got to help God out, we're going to see play out with Sarai. And it happens in our own lives. You know, I often think about this when God calls us to something, when he gives us something that we know is from him in our fast paced, fast food world, we often think, okay, this should happen now. We got to break down this door. We've got to make it happen. And it's almost like we've ran into a candy shop and we've grabbed the first candy we've seen because we knew that we could and the door was open. And so we run and we grab it and we take off. But what's happened is we've ran ahead of God. And we can be so guilty of this because we have such a problem waiting. Waiting is such a hard thing in our society. And all the scriptures that command us to wait on the Lord, they, they're hard for us and they slip by us. And so I picture us as almost those kids who we know God's given us the permission to, to go and, and go into this candy store. So we run in there, we grab the first thing we see and we're out where he goes, man, if you would have waited on me, I didn't just want to give you a piece of candy. I wanted to give you the whole shop. I wanted to open the doors wide open. You see what I've seen in my life time and time again is the moment we go ahead of God is the moment we miss out on seeing the miraculous. And I will tell you something, I am at a place in my life where I do not want to break down doors because I miss out on seeing God part the Red Sea. And I hope we understand this. I was just counseling somebody with this the other day. If you are having to break down the doors in order to accomplish what you believe God has given you to accomplish, that is the moment I would step back and ask God if this is the right time in the right way. Because you see, when God is in something, when he does something, it is miraculous, powerful, and he parts the Red Sea. He swings the doors wide open. I've seen it time and time again. Where we get into trouble is when we rush past him, when we think that we know a way to do it, when we try to help him out in a way, that's where we get into trouble. Now, before we get too caught up in how dare Sarah give Abram her slave, I want us to understand something about the culture. This would not have been abnormal. In fact, it's actually quite an amazing fact that she hadn't done this sooner. Because did you know that in ancient culture, and especially in Babylon and in Ur at this time, they would sign what they would have as marriage contracts when they entered into marriage. But most often within those contracts, it would state 
that the woman was responsible to bear a son for her husband. And if she was unable to bear children within the contract, they would state how many years the husband would be willing to give her to bear a child. And if she could not do it by then, by law, she was then obligated to provide him with a slave or a servant who could produce an heir for him. That was her obligation. And so the fact that they have already been married 50, 60 plus years and been childless, and Abram has not demanded that of Sarah, it is an astounding fact. It's an amazing fact. And so actually that it took this long for her to even think of doing this was really incredible. Because like I said, it would have been almost a cultural duty-bound obligation for her to provide this. Because here's the deal with slaves, if you didn't know this, a slave at this time was simply an extension of their master. So for Sarah, having Hagar with her, that was an extension of her own self. If Hagar was able to conceive, that child would belong to Sarah because Hagar belonged to Sarah. So it wasn't so abnormal for her to do this. In fact, it was quite, like I said, an amazing thing that she waited this long. However, this was not the plan God had. Sarah went ahead of God. And this is what I'm talking about with the timing of faith. God's timing is perfect and it's beautiful. But you know what? Oftentimes, It happens at a time we're not expecting it. It happens at a time where we feel like it should have happened so much sooner. And we have this waiting period. But you see, when God calls us to wait, he's not just calling us to wait out of, um, you know, upset or anger. or He's trying to uh, throw us off or he's trying to put us down. This time of waiting oftentimes is a time of preparation and he is preparing us. He's preparing others. He's preparing the situation because what we have to understand about our God is he sees everything beginning to end. Amen. He sees it all. And we have to be careful to not rush before God. Let's see what happens. I just want to tell you what happened with Sarah because she wasn't understanding the timing of her faith being worked out. She took matters into her own hands. She went ahead of God and she tried to help him out on this and provide Abram with an heir. And she did. Hagar conceived and gave birth to Ishmael. Now, here's something that we may or may not know. The consequences of her choice to run ahead of God has had devastating effects on the nation of Israel up until this very day. Because out of the line of Ishmael, we have the Arab nation. We're out of the lineage of Isaac. We have the children of Israel and they have been at odds and at war all of this time up to this very day. And so you're going to see the consequences of this played out over and over and over again from this simple choice to try to do things on her own. When we do things on our own and we do not wait for the Lord, we deal with the consequences of that sometimes for generations upon generations. In fact, if you go into Galatians, and I challenge you to read Galatians 4, verses 22 through 30, Paul goes into this teaching in depth, and he brings into light for us the difference between Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac. Because you have the mother of Ishmael being a slave, the mother of Isaac being a free woman. And so in this, you have the covenant of the flesh, what was done out of the flesh, and you have the covenant of what came out of the promise of God. And he talks about the fact that Hagar and Ishmael illustrate the law given at Mount Sinai, where Sarah and Isaac illustrate the new covenant provided in Jesus Christ through Mount Zion. It's a beautiful depiction of what happened here. But you have this living under the law and living under the flesh versus living under the promise and the grace of God. 
It's an interesting thing. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, but we know that Isaac was born according to the spirit of God and according to his promise to him. And that's something we want to pay attention to as we're making these choices. If God has given you something to do, I encourage you, allow God to move ahead of you. Don't try to go before him. There was a woman I knew who um, used to say this over and over again. She'd pray and she goes, well, I'm just going this direction. I hope God catches up. And you sit there and go, no, that's not it. You're missing it. You don't want God to catch up with you. You want to follow him. Let him open those doors. Let the timing be perfect in his sight because he knows what needs to take place. He knows what needs to happen. And so for Sarah, this is what was going on. She had struggled through these trials of faith and she will continue. And now she has been um, involved in understanding the timing of faith and that timing is so important. And so now we have Ishmael and we're going to fast forward 13 years later, God is going to come to Abram again, 13 years later, he's going to come to Abram again. And this time he changes Abram's name to Abraham. He went from being called exalted father to being called the father of many nations. And for the very first time, God is going to specifically bring in Sarai. For the very first time, he's actually going to mention her by name and tell Abram that this promise was going to be fulfilled through Sarai. And he changes her name from Sarai to Sarah. And it's a beautiful time. Excuse me, it takes place in chapter 17, verses 15 through 22. If you can read that, this is the time when God comes back in and he reestablishes his promise yet again after 13 years of waiting. And he, for the first time, brings Sarah into the account. He changes her name. He changes Abram's name, gives them new identities in him. And he calls forth the promise through Sarah. But could you imagine another 13 years of waiting and wondering on Sarah's part, struggling through her doubt and jealousy of Ishmael and Hagar? And then very shortly after, for the first time, God is going to appear not only to Abraham, but the Lord is also going to appear to Sarah herself through his visitation. Um, to them. And that is where we're going to pick up next week, because we're going to look at after we have now talked about the trials of faith and we're going to see more. Sarah's going to be called into more trials that work out her faith. She's understanding a little more about the timing of faith. And we're seeing that playing out in her life. But next week, I want to talk to you about the triumph of our faith, because something beautiful is going to happen here. Finally, Sarah is able to wrestle with her doubt with the Lord and everything changes. Everything is going to change for Sarah. It's a powerful moment because I want to remind you of what I had told you earlier. You see, faith is a lifelong process. It is not something that just happens overnight. Yes, we will have the little seed of faith to believe in Jesus, and that is beautiful. But that journey of faith, it is a lifelong process, and we can't give up on it. Sarah is a beautiful example because no matter the trials of her faith, no matter how the timing was not working out according to her timetable, she did not give up. She kept pushing forward. And you're going to see next week the incredible, miraculous triumph that comes from persevering in our faith. And so let's continue our study of her in depth as we look at this, as we call into um, account our own selves. And are we rushing the timing of God in our life? 
Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that it can penetrate right to the soul of the issue within us. God, help us to understand as we walk through these trials of faith that your timing is perfect. Help us to allow you, God, to part the Red Sea in our life. May we not run ahead of you and try to break down doors that only you can open. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.